Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. Vayishlach covers primarily a lot of uh, chapter 32 of Genesis and goes through chapter 36. Some of the, the big topics that we're going to be looking at here today in this particular section, that it covers some big ideas, that one of the things that comes is we are set out as sent out as ambassadors into the world. You're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. And what kingdom are we actually representing? That's a big question. And as we learn later on, as we then will go through the book of Exodus, we see that we are also ambassadors, meaning you're representing, communicating for, standing in the place of, but also priests, meaning that you are also receiving and passing on blessings from the people of God. So you've got those two roles there, an outreach and an inreach there, ambassadors and priests. The question is, is will we go? Will we be like those, like the prophet Shmuel who said, here I am, Lord, send me. And wondering, well, where is this message that's coming? And will we be like the prophet who is saying, hey, I am, got a couple of prophets even that said, hey, I've got unclean lips. I need to have my lips cleaned. And heaven says, okay. And with the, the symbol of the coal on the lips, you know, that, that burning of it to have a cleansing by fire of our mouths. So it's that heaven is cleaning us and cleaning up as we speak and also bringing forth a words of power and words of, you could say, burning heat. So the question also is that when we go, when we go on this way and we encounter challenges that we're going to face, are these challenges that we ourselves are making and are these things truly out of our control? So that's one of those questions because like with the apostle Yaakov says in the first one of James chapter one, that when you face trials of many kinds, you do what? You just say, oh, hey, things are, I'm being tossed back and forth. I've, I'm just a victim. I'm a victim. Woe is me. Or is it that we ask for wisdom? Why is it happening? And then persevere through it. And when we come out the other side of whatever trouble we're facing, then we become what? Mature, complete. Become complete. And as we saw in our last Torah reading, what is Yaakov called? His name has changed, but he's called a complete man, the Tamim man. He's complete. It's often translated the gentle man or uh, the man who likes comfort, some various ways that that is, is uh, translated. Uh, Alex, uh, who has the uh, microphone I, over there? Let me just we'll get the microphone over to you here. Or I'll... Kind of serving double duty here today. Great. Uh, go go ahead. It's on. It's on. Go ahead. I was just curious at what point Jacob became that because he was just a survival expert prior to that. You know, up that is the, that is a big part of what we're talking about today. Okay. How does he become this? Yes. How does he become the one who is complete and not lacking I, anything? I assume it was just at the end of that Torah portion. It's like okay. 
get rid of the idols now. And before that. Oh, it was before that. He was because, okay. because otherwise you would be like what Yeshua told the parable about. Be like someone who had a evil, unclean spirit inside of his house and he throws it out and sweeps the house clean. But then the evil spirits say, hey, the house is empty. So it gets seven more worse than itself and they all move in together. I thought he was still bargaining when they got to the foreign country. <laughs> Look, uh, maybe we get in with these people. They won't kill us. Yeah, go ahead. You can have my daughters and his kids. But those two guys got him. Well, I don't think Jacob was any more evolved than they were, really. He was just like, yeah, maybe we can survive here for a while, too, you know? Yeah. But the, the thing... Well, he was still a complete man, and I'll let you fill in on yes. when that happened. The, the, the complete man, but then you also have to see what happened to him in the process. And then also you'll see what happened to the sons. The, the, you could say the original sons of thunder before you had uh, those in the, among the apostles that became the sons of thunder. So Shimon and Levi were the original sons of thunder. And quite, quite interestingly, as we get into the book of Exodus, what does one of them become? The forefather of all the priests. Very interesting. Um, very interesting picture. And so you see kind of a going full circle when you get down to one of the uh, last sort of great entry points to when Israel goes to enter the land with the second generation. You have one of the descendants from that Pinchas or Phineas, you know, takes action on something, an egregious thing that's happening in their midst. An egregious thing that's happening in their midst, but quite different from the Sons of Thunder in that regard, where it was working on the outside. This was working on the inside. And uh, but before we, Christine, we got uh, Pat here. You have your hand up. Um, go ahead, Pat. Well, I guess what, to me, probably one of the most important things, not only this, but what has been happening through this is the incredible importance of your words. Because if you remember when they were getting ready to leave, that he said that, you know, that if anybody, the idols were stolen, whoever stole those idols will die. Yes. Well, and that's exactly what happened. She died in childbirth. And... I, I guess what I keep think, seeing over and over again is how important our words are and what we say about some, something or to someone or about something. I'm, I guess I'm seeing a whole new um, revelation of how important our words are and how important it is to watch our words. Yes, watch, watch your words, which is... The whole point of what Yeshua is getting at when he says, you know, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and about making an oath, making a, prox a proclamation that something will be so. Um, yeah, that's extremely important to be very careful in your words. Uh, when you get down into the fifth chapter of Ecclesiastes, one of the things that it says there is when you're in the house of God, what? Blabber on and 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 on. No, what does it say? Yes, let your words be few. You could say also listen more than you speak might be another way to put that. Yes, Christine, go ahead, please. Oh, sorry. The Hebrew, just help me with the Hebrew, Tomei and Tom. For Jacob. Oh, Tamei. Tamei. Uh, yes, uh, Tamei is what we have uh, translated as, you could say. Um, unclean? And, you know, the, the clean and the unclean. Right. So you got the Tamei and the, and the Tahor. Are tahor the, is uh, unclean, right? Yes, the okay. Tamei and the Tahor. This one is uh, Tom, slightly different spelling okay. here on it. And that is where you see it usually referred to with the sacrifices, uh, meaning in the plural of Tamim. But uh, that's, that's what that's referring to. All right. 
So some of the other big picture items here from this particular passage is we see on the one hand, you have that division is toxic, toxic to the kingdom of heaven. And what are you actually doing with the toxic spirit of division? You see the Apostle Paul talks about the spirit of division in the midst of the the people of believers. It's something that will tear people apart, tears the family of God apart, tears families apart, tears friendships apart. So what is it that you were actually doing about it? And you see like the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 8, is talking about, well, if, it's, if possible, as so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. And this is in context following chapters 9 through 11, which is all talking about Israel, Israel's mission, how the nations are grafted into the olive tree of Israel, and you have natural branches that are pruned off. You have the wild branches that are pruned on. So thus, therefore, in this congregation where you have wild branches and you have natural branches that are all grafted onto the same tree, you need to figure out how to live together, to live at peace with each other. And you know, he goes on in another letter when he's uh, writing a letter to the congregation in uh, Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, it says, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So when you're thinking about that second greatest commandment to do to others as you would want them to do to you, it's also kind of looking at what your actions are going to do to other people when you do them. You know, you think of people who are, if you ever seen some sort of a, of a team sport or people working as a team together, what do you do? Just people randomly just do whatever you want? No, you learn over time how to coordinate your actions so that you're not running into each other, especially if you've got dangerous tools and implements. You know, if you're working with knives and stuff like that, you want to be extremely careful of where you're at. You communicate with each other. If you got hot stuff or if you got sharp objects, you let people know when you're walking by them with hot items and sharp objects. And you watch out for other people because they may all be trying to work together to work fast as a team, but if you don't know where each other are and what your needs are, where you need help, then you can quickly fall apart as a team. Yes, uh, Danielle, you have a comment or a question there? Um, it's like, I have to go back in time ah. to what you just said. Yes, working as a team. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, it's like whenever I need help, sometimes people think they're like too big. Like they don't want to ask for help because mm. they're like, oh, I think I could figure this out on myself. That's where a lot of people get in trouble uh, because they don't want to ask for help and they don't want to talk about it. But if you um, are able to talk about it with someone, then it can end up like really changing something. Yes. Yeah, it's it's hugely important because um, one of the one of the things that uh, is a hard lesson that gets learned is uh, someone who might be extremely good at something, but if it's something where they act to actually work with somebody else, oh my goodness! If you think of like an orchestra, you've got someone who's a prodigy. Well, if that person can't figure out how to work, take instructions from the conductor and to also work with other people in there, steps on everybody else, plays over the top of everybody else, um, what good is that? You can be the greatest person ever, and you'll end up playing alone because you can't work with anybody. You know, I, we've had things in, in play, particular place where I work at where people come in, and they're 
spectacular at what they do, but was a huge problem in working with everybody. So unfortunately, that person didn't last long, even though the person was extremely talented. But we couldn't come together as a team to put this together. So as we move on through the legacy of Israel, this is a people of 12 parts, 12, 13 parts, depending on how you do the counting, but lots of different differences between the parts that go together towards the whole. And Paul talks about that with his analogy of the body and its various parts. The parts all have to work together. You can't be looking down on some of the parts because you think that they are unimportant because they all work together as a whole. And if you are thinking that a part is unimportant, perhaps the lesson for that person is to learn why that less important part, so to speak, is actually extremely important. So really in the sense of the people of God, the bottom line is just get over it. If you've got some sort of an issue with other people, you need to figure out what the issue is and move past it. That's one of the lessons that we have in, you know, once a year, we, we hit it hard there at the Yom Kippur time period of facing up to these particular issues and these blockages that we have between people. But as we see in the passage that we just looked at in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, which we'll be getting to in a little bit more detail here later, is that this is also a theme that's wrapped up in the other parts of the year the other appointments in God's calendar. And he specifically mentions Pesach, Passover, and unleavened bread. And that there is a big lesson in here about unleavened bread and getting over it, getting past your things. And as we look at this particular time period, you'll see that there is also a lot of connections between Passover, the timing of Passover, and the timing of Yom Kippur. And how those things relate together and the lessons that are combined together in them, in that you need to work past and get over and have those things covered over with God's blessing and then removed out so you can move on and move on together. So some other really big pictures here that we have in this particular passage that Yes, okay, division is toxic, toxic to the people of God. But division is also essential when you have something that is coming in between the, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God. So you have parts inside of the kingdom that are really tearing it apart and how there has to be a distinction between the kingdom of God and the things of the world. We've talked about in the past few Torah portions about how the, you see the picture of the expanding city of God as a picture that the tent of God is getting wider and wider and wider to want to bring the nations in. So this is not just all about trying to make the most exclusive club ever so you have the secret handshake and no one else does. No, this is about making the tent bigger, but in the process how are you making the tent bigger? Is you just you just drag people in, come as you are, stay as you are, uh, persist as you are for all eternity? No, it is come in, you may and change. Come in and change, and come in, take a bath, and get change clothes, get get new clothes, get a new name, and come in and be different in the process of it. So, and as you see here in this passage from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 through 13, and just to reiterate again, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not mean at all with immoral people of this world or with the covetous and swindlers or with idolaters, for then you would have to get out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called believer if he is an immoral person or covetousness or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler, not even 
to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within? But those who are outside, God judges. And there's a quotation from the Torah, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. And there's a number of sections where that's quoted, Deuteronomy 13, 5, 17, 7, and 12, and Deuteronomy 21, 21, and Deuteronomy 22, 21. It's a common theme that you see uh, over and over again. Yes, uh, Danielle. Um, <clears throat> this reminds me of when Jesus went, I forgot who it was, they went to someone's house, ah. and he was associating with um, outsiders, like a adulterous woman. And they were like, why are you associating with her? That's the wrong thing to do. And Jesus said how um, he had to, because he because um, she actually showed more love than the person that actually invited him to their house. Yeah. And what, it was a very interesting thing that you said in the context of that, is that he came to call what? Perfect people? No. Sinners. To do what? Stay in their old way of life? No. To repent, or as you say, teshuva, to turn around to go in the different opposite direction from where they were going before. So that was the purpose of what this turnaround was going to do. So thus, one of the things that we see in, in the people of God, and you see it earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5, is that it says what? To cast, remove this person out. And it's very interesting what it talks about that he may go to Satan, to the adversary, so that what? For the destruction of the flesh, but so that his what? The spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. So it's a very interesting thing because we've been talking about that for the last several Torah portions here, going back to the tree, and the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Tree of life, it's the tree of the spirit. It's the connection to the spirit of God. The tree of knowledge of good and bad, that's the tree of the flesh. What you want to do, what you think is the great way to go versus what is actually the true way to go. What is the way that leads to life? So thus in that sense, that's what this kind of separation, this division that's needed if you have this thing that's happening with inside the body of Messiah is to be a wake-up call, to attack that part of the flesh, the, per the part that's enamored with the tree of knowledge of good and bad, and thinking that, hey, the knowledge of the world, that this is the way to go, that this is the, the, the relevant way, the enlightened way to go. But to realize, no, that is the way that leads to death. That is the way that is not going to profit the world in the long run. And to say, okay, come face to face with that. We say, for the hope that the person will actually get the lesson, but maybe they won't get the lesson. But at least you're giving a little bit of a wake up to say, okay, you are claiming to be a, a, in the body of believers, but... Actually, this is not something that happens in the body of believers. This is not a way of behavior that leads to life. It leads to death. Yes, Alex, go ahead. It is just a difficult thing to uh, what they're talking about. I know we all come from different faiths. And, um, you know, it's, it is tough to, I mean, say if you were maybe a church that really didn't have any scruples per se. He could be a mainstream Protestant church. And, you know, they just exist. And then you may be at a really strict fundamentalist church. I would never go to one of those because I believe right away, oh, but they, they'll look at me and go, you, you don't, you're, you know, because I've done all those things or I may think those things or whatever. So, but I think in this body of believers, um, we trust each other. 
So I guess we're keeping an eye out. Is like, is she a drunkard? You know, <laughs> she got the problem. You know, so uh, that's a tough one. I mean, I know they come from a different day and age, but the whole completely non-judgmental, the overly judgmental, and the where are we kind of thing. Yeah. So it's a tough one. Well, that's one of the 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 key aspects that you see in this particular chapter here of First Corinthians is that you know as you look back historically, you can see that Corinth was a very cosmo we call it a cosmopolitan city. It was a it was a uh, trading city. You see that specifically geographically, it was on an isthmus of Greece where you would have a very easy portage between the, what is it, the Aegean and the Adriatic Sea, where they would actually pull ships across from one sea to the other across that little isthmus there of Corinth. So there was a lot of trade that was going through there. There was a lot of people from all over the place that were going there. So lots of ideas were coming through Corinth. So in this particular setting, if you have got so many people from so many cultures bumping around into each other, then you would see that, okay, you either lock heads with each other all the time, or you become very what? Accommodating with things. Now, that's great to have accommodations of culture, but at what limit do you do that accommodation of the culture? Are you doing, like we see in the Torah portion that we're at here today, looking at what not only Esau was doing with his family, but also what you could see that the nations and Shechem was trying to do to the family? Hey, intermarry, just let's, let's um, have the have the the families mixing together it'll be so great because you know eventually you'll just kind of what you'll be assimilated and there will be no distinction between you or them so the question is is that are your distinctions that you have between cultures are those good or are those a a barrier to people in the world so are those distinctions good? For example, we're talking about the legacy of Israel, which is what? The knowledge of God to the entire world. The fact that there is a creator and that this creator is looking to connect and to return the world back to the creator. So in this particular sense of that, that is the legacy that's going down. Now, that legacy can take on many forms over time, but if it loses that particular message and that message then gets turned into something else, then you have a big problem. So thus, when you're sort of weighing these particular associations between people just like the apostle paul is talking about in first corinthians chapter 5 i didn't tell you to not to associate with people who are happen to do these things because then you would what have to go off to become you know some sort of enclave somewhere it's like no you're not to be removed out of the world you people there in corinth you're going to be rubbing shoulders with all kinds of people but you are also ambassadors of the kingdom so if an embassy is sending all kinds of mixed messages out into the world what good is that embassy no one has any idea what the you know to take that metaphor further what that particular kingdom even stands for yes salt and losing your saltiness is, is another example of what yeshua was talking about and in being a a salt for the world because if you take it back into the torah we're talking about the salt covenant and the salt being put on the various offerings salt is a purifying and you know also preservative but it is a preservative because it's a purifying killing off things in the process the microbes that are involved in the process so what function are we actually in the world are we there as a 
a preservative something that is looking to save the world or do we just exist there as a culture club and uh, enjoy our secret handshakes and the fact that we're different for what reason we don't know but uh we're, we're different well then why do you exist you see that happens over time, whether you're talking about a social club, whether you're talking about a country, whether you're talking about a company. Sadly, even when you talk about a family, if you forget why you even exist as a unit, as a group, what then happens? People stop seeing any reason why should you should even keep it going if you lose what it means to be whatever. Then, now granted there are some where you have to see okay the mission of the group is toxic and so maybe that uh, association that grouping needs to end but if you look at the mission of the group and here we're talking about the kingdom of god then you see that must continue that is the essence of it and so thus what is being taught within it and what it is carrying on, what it is conserving, protecting, preserving from one generation to the next generation is what is most important for it to continue on with. So thus, you see that kind of wrapped up with Esau in that he starts out, and we saw in the previous Torah section where he's weeping He's weeping after he says, hey, don't you have a blessing for me, Father? And he says, well, who I've blessed, I've blessed. And yes, he shall be blessed. Then we see at the end of this particular section, weeping again. But this particular weeping is to say that they are, it's very interesting how it describes about, you know, he descended upon the neck of Yaakov and was weeping. So, a lot of people have observed over time this was the same neck that was described in the previous section that was disguised to look or should say feel like Esau being hairy. So he clutched on to that same part and instead of wailing for, oh, I missed out and being so angry and now wanting to kill and pursue the brother, but uh, now being something where he's saying, Hey, I want to rejoin and be part of the family. Yes, Christine. I just think of Esau, and as the Bible continues to refer to him as Edom, yes, that he was a man that set traps. And I had hmm. read, yes. heard uh, one rabbi speaking about his mouth was a trap. Hmm. And so whenever I think about him ascending onto Yaakov's neck hmm. and um, that kiss, I'm like, I've had my puppy be so excited with love and do that kiss that borders on like a real bite, you know? So, yes. yeah, I always think about that having a trap in his mouth, one who sets yes. traps. Yeah, almost wanted to eat him up, yes. yes. Oh, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> boom, boom. So one of the other things we see in the part of the name change here for Yaakov is called struggling struggling ruling with god yisra and then l so yisra he struggles he rules and then with l with god so struggling with god you can see is a really important part of the people of god it's a, a important part from the very beginning in fact when we go all the way back again to the two trees that is really a struggle it is a struggle are you going to go to the tree of life are you going to go to the tree of knowledge? Which one are you going to go to? Because one sure looks tantalizing, but that's the one tree that God said, don't go to. So that's a struggle. I want to go there. But the one who made me said, don't go there. So do I go? Or do I trust the one who made me that said, no, don't go there? thinking maybe the one who made me knows really what the best part of it is. So you could... <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends what kind of cake. If it's carrot cake, then that's blessed. No, I'm just... <laughs> of course, I'm, I'm extremely biased. 
Oh, yes, yeah, so there's shriveled up dead fruit in it, then it's uh, not blessed, it's cursed. <laughs> so, yes, yeah, so you can see that there's been wrestling among the people of God for a, an extremely, all day long, wrestling, 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 with the principalities and the powers of the air. Yes. Oh, yes, been wrestling. Now, interestingly, did you catch that in Hebrews chapter 12? It was mentioned in passing about your leg being out of joint and passing reference into that because it also brings up Esau again right at the end of that particular passage that we're not like the godless Esau who did what? He gave up his birthright for a meal. Yes, the red, red stuff. So one of the interesting things as we take a look at just the comparison between you know, Edom, the dirt man, versus Yaakov, the spirit man. So Edom, again, Dom is blood. Adama is dirt. So Edom, Adama, Dom, all those concepts of dirt, blood, Edom, wrapped up with the ground, earth, man coming from, being made from the ground. So what are you? Are you someone... <laughs> dirt you are and to dirt you will return so yes that that part of you is tied down to the ground but what do you just want to be ruled by that to be ruled by that legacy of death or do you say okay i would rather go with the creator who gave what the tree of life so that mankind would reach out for it and do what live forever take hold of it and live forever saying that's the better way to go but it's like yeah you can't do that after you've gone after and seen gone to the tree and say i'm going to go with that go for the tree of knowledge go somewhere else for the wisdom of god for the wisdom of the world and then go back and say okay i'm just going to continue on with this forever forever locked in between this well i'm going to choose jo- uh, going to uh, choose god some days going to choose my desires other days you know or as sometimes we have to watch ourselves in it i'm going to choose god one day of the week and then choose my desires the other 6 days of the week so we have to watch ourselves that we don't get trapped into that as well and being like edom the dirt man now the interesting thing that, that comes along with this in um, this looking at uh, Edom is <laughs> kind of interesting how um, people have noticed that going back into our last Torah reading of Vayetzi in the section where it's talking about where Esau despised his birthright there in Genesis 25:34, what talks about Esau despised his birthright. People have noticed that this is a really bizarre chain of descriptions here in Hebrew because it's like four verbs just back to back to back to back. Now it's translated in various ways um, that you know he came in, he ate, he drank, he rose, and he went, and the interesting part of it is people notice that is a really bizarre because it's just kind of like staccato. You know, he came in, you know, he, he ate, he drank, he got up, and he left. And thus, he despised his birthright because he just came in, he ate, enjoyed himself, and then he left. And then that was what he sold his birthright for. That that's his thought was only for what was in the moment, not for what that birthright was going to do from generations down on. Because when you think about, as we just hit the rewind back to the blessing, then that Yitzhak then had for Esau, he said, uh, of course, he had that, the great reversal of the blessing that went to Yaakov, but it was what? It was going to be plentiful crops. The land would bring forth plenty. And that it would also be 
who would be in charge in the family. It turned out that the older would then have to serve the younger instead of the younger serving the older. That's who would now have the, the control, or you could say the legacy would now be going through for the younger. Now, would the older then accept it? Because what? I am the one who was born first. I should then have the birthright. Why did God allow the deception? Yes. And now that is the, the part of what this whole section here. First, we had our last section, Vayetzi, was about the deception and then the fleeing. And this part here was about the return and the reconciliation. So we see that there was the original prophecy that you would have the younger would be the one where the blessing would come through. And you see that again and again and again and again throughout Scripture, this, this, this motif, this theme that keeps showing up. The younger, the second born, the lesser is the one where the blessing comes through. The one that is considered the least is the one that gets the actual blessing through this. So this particular thing that his mother was informed about between the twins that were inside of her, this was something that was communicated and it fits in there with it. But the question is, how would that blessing come? And what you see with the switcheroo is very similar to the pattern that we saw with the, the sister act situation with Avraham and the father. You know, Avraham down in Egypt, and then you have Yitzhak there in <laughs> dealing with Abimelech. It was a similar thing of, okay, I've got this promise that all the world is going to be blessed through me. Through me is going to be this nation, this multitude of peoples, and this and that and the other. But I might get killed because my wife is too hot. So thus, I'm going to have to claim, oh, she's my sister, so then they won't kill me to get at my wife. So thus, what? You're trusting in your ability to carry this process forward. And each one of those things had a consequence to it, had a consequence, a, a conflict that went into it. Now, through those, there was still a blessing that came out because what? This, this um, legacy was going to continue through this line into the world. Now, the people who were involved in this legacy were making lots of bad choices along the way on this, and they faced consequences. Now, Yaakov faced a big one whopper i mean that's when you talk about a prison sentence that's a pretty long one being separated from his whole family in the case of this but he was quite different when he returned quite different as we see as it's detailed in this particular torah section this whole long process you know sending all of his everything that he got as a blessing during his exile during his you could say his sentence for the deception, everything he was sending to whom? Esau, the person he wronged in the process. So this is a living out of what we see later on in the Torah when it talks about, well, if you steal something, what? You give it back plus the 20% or the one-fifth on top of it. So that is, you could say, the least thing that you have to do. Now you see examples of people where you see a total heartfelt repentance. And Zacchaeus is a great example you just brought up there about, hey, if I stole anybody, I'm going to pay it back far more than I have to do. Why? Because I see, wow, I have really gone way, 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 way away from the path of God. So I want to go back in huge order. And so this was something that you see poured out from Yaakov to his brother saying, hey, I am different. So thus, when you see the struggling that Yaakov is having with heaven, and what does he call the place? Peniel? Because he says, you know, as had a, a 
close-up encounter, close encounter of the heaven kind there and survived. And then when he goes up to Yaakov, he's like, all right, I don't have to fear Yaakov anymore because maybe now I'm going to trust that the Lord will make this promise happen regardless. You know, as you see, like Hebrews, we just read that passage in chapter 11 where it's like Avraham trusted the Lord that what? It would come through Yitzhak, whether he had to resurrect him, he would make that happen, and it would happen. Oh, yes, uh, Daniel, I'm sorry. Go, go right ahead. Um, <clears throat> since Jacob said he would give God one-tenth of all he owned, is that where we get, like, giving God one-tenth of all we owned? Or is that yeah, we see God? several examples of that. Uh, that's one of them. You see also with uh, Melchizedek and uh, Avraham, that Avraham went to Melchizedek, who is in this role called you know, priest of the Most High, and gave him a tenth. So these are examples that you have of this uh, thing that you say, uh, giving a tenth of it. And yeah. also, um, we were listening to like this podcast called Barsha for Kids, and um, it said the reason why when um, God told Jacob to give him his altar, the sacrifice, was because um, Jacob said he would give God one tenth of all he owned, but he still hadn't done it. So God was like giving him a reminder, <laughs> yes. hurry up, come on, give me my one tenth. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good point, yeah. That's, that's a great point on that. All right. So we see these examples of here that, that Esau despised his birthright. And what was the birthright really? What was the totalitary of it? Was it just stuff or was it the family and what the family was carrying on? The knowledge of God and the blessings of God that were coming down. And the lineage. Yes, the lineage would be coming down. But again, well, you see, like in the Gospels, where <laughs> their, um, the message to the leaders of the time period was, hey, you're putting a lot of stock on your lineage. Well, God can make followers out of what? Rocks. So don't be so um, taken up with your lineage because God can graft on anybody. And you see that just with a, what we were talking about earlier with uh, Romans chapter 9 through 11. Oh, yes, uh, Lorella, you have a comment or, or a question here. What I meant was um, lineage. Yes. What I meant was because of God's promise, mm. there's one particular dude in that lineage that I'm thinking of, <laughs> and that's yes. Messiah. That's he right. He got to he got to be an antecedent of Messiah, yes. and his brother missed out on that big time. Yes. So. And it, and it's very interesting who also got grafted into that lineage as you see the people of God along the way, like Rahab, you know. It's it's really a, a, a great lesson of the people of God being bolted on and saying, Hey. Yes. No matter how badly yes, we screw up. Us, yeah. God is still willing to take us and use us for his glory. Yes. Yeah, no, no matter how badly. But the thing is, is that, you know, do you take the approach of Yaakov? Do you take the, purpose, uh, take the approach of Zacchaeus and just say, oh, I really screwed up and say, I will make things right. You know, whatever I had gotten through the ill-gotten gains, then I will give it up and even more so. Yes, Sam, uh, go ahead. And I think the perfect picture of that is a prodigal son. Oh, yes. You know, story of prodigal son that, you know, we, we, we don't stay in the pig pen. <laughs> don't so, stay in the pig pen. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> Love uh, that one. I should put that on a t-shirt. Don't stay in the pig pen. <laughs> uh, Pat, did you have, a, uh, you have your hand up? Go ahead, yeah. please. I do. Yeah, I how much of what any of these have done and how much of even we ourselves, I mean, I, I look at myself, how often do we do things out of fear because we're not totally trusting God? And I look at Abraham saying his wife was his sister. I look at all of the things they do. It's they don't know God well enough to have a hundred percent trust. 
how much of what we do is because we don't trust God enough and we're living somewhat in fear. Yeah, you, you bring up a very, a very good point. It's, that's, uh, that's, that's one of those uh, things like with, we're talking about with uh, James chapter 1, is that when you're facing some sort of an adversity or something, what do you do? You should be asking for wisdom. How am I going to not only get through this, but how am I going to grow because of it? So that what? I'm not like, as the apostle puts it, like a ship that's just tossed back and forth on the ocean, just completely clueless in life, completely unmoored. You have nothing that you're anchored to. No, you want to figure out where you should be putting your metaphorical anchor down to something that's solid. Because <laughs> I, I remember from the, the one harrowing uh, commercial fishing trip I took out there, and we were in a bad storm, and we put our anchor down, but where we were at, it was a sandy bottom. So what anchor is just dragging along? So it really did not much of anything. So we had to just keep every so often moving the boat out further because the waves would just keep pushing us, pushing us in right into the shoreline. So if you don't have something solid to anchor into, it's just like Yeshua's parable about building your house on the sand. That's, you know, like around here, people up in the Fountain Grove area, they didn't sink their houses down into something that was solid. So they sunk it down to the earth. So if the earth moved, their house moved right along with it and went down. So the lesson there is just like up in Fountain Grove or wherever, you have to sink your house down. Your foundations have to go down into rock, the things that will not move. Otherwise, if you put it into things that shift over time, whether it be your cultural sensibilities that shift and change all the time, even over a year's time period, they will change radically. So if you, if you are anchoring yourself to that, and then it shifts, and then you what? You're at a loss. You can be just left drifting about, not knowing which way to go. So that's why when you talk about Esau marrying in the family or marrying out of the family, and you see the difference between them, and we went through the last chapter, chapter 36 of Genesis, is all about Esau's line, and it's all about Edom and all kinds of other people outside the land. And you see a continual budding of heads, budding of heads, budding of heads. One of the other parallel passages that we read along with this in other time periods is Matthew chapter 2, and it talks about Herod, otherwise known as Herod the Great, or Herod the Awful is really... The terrible is what he should be called. But Herod the Great was known as an Idumean. Idumean, as we talked about last time, is just a later word for Edom. Edom. So he was from the legacy of Edom. That's, you know, we're getting into Hanukkah time, and we talk about the Hanukkah period, and after that with the Maccabees, and then with the civil war that started and ended up with you had the ended up with the Hasmonians versus the um, the Herodians and that lineage and the Idumeans. So you had that that fell out of that, and Rome came in as on one side to quote make peace or basically stomp down <laughs> the other the other side of the of the picture. But it's interesting in that in that picture that we have of Herod attacking the lineage of Yaakov. So you had the lineage of Esau attacking the lineage of Yaakov and doing so in Beit Lechem. And what is the, where you see in the in Gospels that quotes from the passage from the prophets about Rachel weeping for her children. So it's like, my goodness, this whole thing just wrapped in together that you'll see, oh, it just random happenstance. No, it is something that 
happens over a long period of time and heaven is fully aware of what's going on. So do you, do you trust? Yes. Uh, Rose? All through Kings? Yes, all through, all through Kings, you see the two families were at each other's throats. With uh, yes. the other tribes. Oh, yes. Yeah, Yehuda was at war with the other tribes, and then you have um, Edom was attacking, and then sometimes it would get subjugated, and sometimes it would dominate, and then eventually, like we were talking about in the end of the last uh, Torah section, that finally you saw that there was a bit of a peace treaty where Edomia eventually came to sort of a peace. Well, uh, came to sort of a peace where you ended up with the Edomians, like the family of Herod, <laughs> ended up um, kind of taking the throne and taking over. So you sort of see it, and then kind of in the later period, fighting the Romans after that, sort of allies to a certain degree. So sort of wrapped up in family histories together. I look at the family history just in current, the Abrahamic mm. con oh, yes. uh, covenant, and now they're over in where? Rome. Mm. Um, so what was brokered recently by one of the administrations, now that um, it's being brokered over in Rome. Um, yeah, and I find that really interesting mm. as we talk about, um, you know, we know that we live in cycles. What has been done will be done again. And yeah, yeah so it's just interesting to pay attention to yeah. all of it. So the question is, is who will influence whom right. in the family? Yeah, that's, that's a hugely important thing because we, we see as we were go down into the time of revelation that who will be influencing whom in this? And do you end up with the people of God wandering after a, a following after the ways of Esau, you might say, of the ways of Edom towards the, the dirt man approach? Or is Edom going to be going the other way? Now you see in some of the prophets, like in Zechariah 8, you will see some that are of the nations of, you could say, of the dirt man will say, hey, we know that God is with you when things come apart in the day of the Lord. And they'll say, hey, we, we see that life is with you. But then you also see the other thing happen. And sadly, as you, as you see in history and also in the prophets, that it is a large number that ends up going the other way because that uh, illustration of, of spiritual gravity is very strong. And it pulls down, pulls, 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 pulls on you. So if you don't, quote, strengthen your muscles, so to speak, to stand, then what? You will fall because spiritual gravity will push, pull you down if you are not actually physically standing up against it. So kind of interesting illustration to that. So just lastly, close out with this uh, aspect between Edom, the dirt man, versus Yaakov, the spirit man. It's that Edom was really envying this blessing. But what was he actually envying? Was he wanting the stuff? Or was he wanting the spirit, really? The spirit that was coming through the birthright of it? Was he wanting the stuff or was he wanting the spirit that came through it? And then you see with the reconciliation as it comes through in this particular passage is you see Yaakov reaching out to Esau to reconcile. Now, you see that in that person in the generation, you see a change in Esau in that wanting to kill him before to it, it looks like he was at least am, amicable, but with that whole kind of second, uh, you could say, little ruse that goes on to say, ah, oh, we're not going back to Sayer with you. Um, whether it's for legacy purposes, whether it's for safety purposes, whatever, to at least maintain that kind of a separation in that, you could see the legacy of Esau continued to be separate. 
to not want to actually be part of that same legacy of Yaakov, the same legacy of Yitzhak, the same legacy of Avraham. Because what were those offshoots from Avraham? Ishmael. And who did, who did Esau marry into? You, know, you saw that in the lineage, Ishmael's daughter. So that lineage, those two offshoots went off. So there's some of it coming back in to see, hey, we see that the true birthright is with you. But more than, more than that, not. Not seeing that, hey, that is the better way to go with the birthright. Now, in modern times, again, we're seeing that turn around yet again. So we'll see as to who many of the uh, legacy of Edom end up grabbing a hold of the younger, so to speak, and realizing, hey, we are the older, but the younger is the one that was actually blessed. So ah, may, may God bring peace and the Prince of Peace quickly, because boy, do we need it. You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's H-A-L-L-E-L dot I-N-F-O. Hallel.info. Hallel.info.